We are, as you know, engaged, if you've been here for the past few weeks, we are in the midst of a sermon series that we're calling Restore, uh, because we are talking as a church family about how we can become the church of God's intent, how we can truly be a biblical church. The church operates in three directions, if you will. We operate upward as we are worshiping our God, as we are studying His Word, seeking to live for Him and express our love for Him upward. We also operate as a church outward in reaching out with the good news of Jesus Christ. And we operate inward in growing in our faith and encouraging one another, building one another, bearing one another's burdens, upward, outward, and inward. And this corresponds, it's reflected in, uh, our motto here, which we talk about from time to time, I did some sermons on this motto early in the year. Looking up, that's the upward dimension, reaching out, outward, growing together, inward. In this sermon series, we've had some sermons so far that are, and there's some overlap here, but that have been mainly about this looking up direction. We talked about how our one foundation is Jesus Christ. Don't dare try to build the church on any other foundation but Him. We talked about how our final authority is the Word of God, the Scriptures. And we talked last week about the salvation that we can enjoy through Jesus Christ and how we get in on that. In the future, the rest of this sermon series, we're going to be talking about the growing together dimension. Alex next week is talking about the relationships that we are to share with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that language ought to give you a clue as to what we'll be uh, digging into next week. We're going to talk about the church's worship, which certainly has an upward dimension, but also, as you know, the New Testament talks about when we assemble, when we gather together, it is just as much for the purpose of edifying one another and encouraging one another. We're going to talk about the church's lifestyle and the leadership of the church, how that is outlined in the Scripture. So those will be growing together. Those will be inward dimension sermons. But today... Today is sort of a turning point in our series. We're about halfway through. This is kind of the hinge. Today is a reaching out sermon. We've talked about looking up. We'll be talking about growing together. Today, we're talking about the outward dimension. We're talking about reaching out. Today is all about the church's mission. What is my purpose? Is a question that has been asked by humans from the beginning of time. Why was I placed on this earth? What am I put here to do? What am I supposed to be? How am I supposed to be living my life? What's my purpose? We long for and we desperately seek and we look for our mission in life. The lyrics of the U2 song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, they almost read like a modern-day version of Ecclesiastes in their quest for meaning and purpose. Here's a sampling. I have climbed the highest mountains. I have run through the fields. I have run, I have crawled, I have scaled these city walls, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I have kissed honey lips, felt the healing in her fingertips. I have spoke with the tongue of angels. I have held the hand of a devil, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. 
And that could speak for a lot of people in the world. I so want to know why I have been placed on this earth. What am I supposed to be doing? What is my purpose? What is my mission? I still feel like I'm looking for it. I'm seeking it out. But the good news for us, for Christians, for baptized believers, is that we don't have to go out looking for our mission. Because it's right here. It's been delivered to us. Found in God's Word, which was the theme of our second sermon in this series, how God's Word is our final authority. Our mission is to proclaim salvation, and that was the subject of our third lesson, this salvation that we can experience through Jesus Christ. He was the subject of our first sermon to the world. Found in God's Word, our mission is to proclaim salvation through Jesus Christ to the world. Our text this morning spells that out. It is what we call the Great Commission. It is in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. I want to read these words of, of Jesus, these final words of Christ, before He ascended into heaven that He made to His eleven apostles. Go therefore, He said, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the mission that he delivered to his eleven, but now it's the mission of all of God's people, all of Uh, the church, it is our mission. And it couldn't be clearer, could it? I mean, Jesus spells it out. It is crystal clear. uh, And yet, it's astounding. And it's also disturbing how easily we can drift from the mission. How easily we can lose focus on it. Why is that? Why is it that we as God's people have been given such clear marching orders. This is what you need to be doing. This is what your life is supposed to be about. This is your purpose. This is why you were placed here in the the first place. How is it that we can botch this? How is it that we can become so, get so far off track, so distracted? I mean, there are countless examples of how people can drift from the mission. I think about something that David Shannon, the president of Freed Hardeman, shared when he was with us last month. He, he talked about how all but one of the Ivy League universities, as we call them, Harvard was the first, Yale, the University of Pennsylvania, Princeton, Columbia, Brown, Dartmouth, um, the upper echelon of universities in our country, all of these were founded in the beginning as Christian institutions by religious people who had great respect for the authority of God's Word. My, how that's changed. Now, none, not one of these are associated with any religion. At the beginning, God's Word was foundational, central to the mission, and see how far they've drifted from that original purpose. It's so easy to do. Here's what can happen to the church. Here's what has happened to the church. It all started with a man a great teacher, a rabbi, as they called him, who, of course, was more than just a man. We know him as Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And when people, when his earliest followers recognized that about him, they recognized his authority, they understood 
what He came to do, which was to bring salvation and redemption of all humanity through His teaching and most especially through His sacrificial death on the cross, He started a movement. And His earliest followers, they joined that movement. They were sold out on that movement. They began to pick up where He left off in spreading the good news that salvation had been delivered once and for all through Him. But eventually that movement turned into what you might call a machine. And the simplicity of the New Testament was... What was stacked on top of it was extra stuff, extra biblical traditions and various teachings that even led some people astray from from what the Word teaches. It became a machine that in some corners has now turned into a monument. Or a museum. Christianity in in some corners is a far cry from how it began. And now it's all about honoring the past. uh, And maintaining the gains that were made. And, And church buildings which are supposed to be the hub of the mission. The headquarters so to speak. Now just contain relics looking back to the past. And and it's communicated by the decor that our best days are behind us. Those were the glory days, but now that's past. And what we're concerned about now is just maintaining, uh, holding our own, keeping people in the pews happy. That's what has spawned the greatest movements in Christianity throughout our history. The Protestant Reformation of the 1500s and 1600s where people said, hold up a second. There's a lot of extra stuff added here that is contrary to the Word of God. Let's go back to the Bible. And The movement out of which we came, the restoration movement of the early 1800s. Wait a second. Let's go back to the Bible. I think some of the things that we're doing uh, are are not in line with what God's Word teaches. This morning, we've got to get focused again on our mission. We've got to take it back to the man and the movement where it began. And so I want you to view this morning as a trip to the eye doctor. Oh, isn't that a pleasant image? To go to the eye, don't you want to go to the eye doctor with me this morning? It's time to regain focus on the mission. And some of us might just need a new pair of eyeglasses. We might just need to upgrade, uh, upgrade our prescription. But some of us might need extensive surgery in order for us to see anew the original mission that God and Jesus has left us with. It's time to get our eyes checked and it's time to regain focus on the mission. And I want to share with you three, I'm going to call these embarrassingly simple truths, things that Jesus reminds us about the mission. As you look at these, you may think, these are pretty commonsensical, Joseph. I mean, come on. But isn't it the simple things often that we neglect the most? Isn't it the simple things that we have a tendency to overlook? These are simple, but they are foundational. And they're revealed to us by Jesus in what is called the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 28. Let me say this first about the mission. The mission is big. The mission is big. Jesus says. In Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations. And he says it to 11 people. And I have to imagine that they were probably like. "Uh, You mean us? Jesus, you've been with us for three years. You know who we are. We're 
just everyday folks. We're fishermen. We're tax collectors. You expect us to take the good news of the kingdom to everybody in the world? You are entrusting us with the message of the gospel, Jesus says, yes. Make disciples of all nations. You know what the most amazing part of it is? They did it. They actually did it, or rather God did it through them. I think also about what Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved a few people in one nation, in one community. No, every single person the world over, God so loved all humanity that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then Jesus, in the Acts account, sort of spells this out for us. In the Acts account of His final words, Jesus says to His 11 apostles, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's how it's going to happen, Jesus said. And that's exactly how it happened. They began preaching and spreading the message of the gospel in Jerusalem. The church grew there. But then there was great persecution and a lot of Christians fled that city. Did they do so with their tails tucked between their legs? Did they cower out of fear of persecution? No. They took the gospel. They kept preaching the gospel. And God used what was a very difficult season in the life of the early church to take the gospel even further. To Judea, to Samaria. And where do we find Paul at the end of of the book of Acts? He's all the way in Rome, the center of the empire. And a lot of people say the book of Acts just sort of ends on a whimper. It kind of ends abruptly. I think the reason for that is the story really isn't over at the end of Acts. We pick it up where the author of Acts leaves leaves off. We join in the mission to continue taking the message of Jesus to the known world. It was a mission. This mission started by God uh, and Jesus. It was a mission that the early church embraced. One writer says this, in the first days of the post-resurrection Jesus movement, the church could count only 120 members. 120. That's how many people were gathered there in Jerusalem. Even as late as the end of the first century, there were probably no more than 25,000 Christians worldwide. And that's not many, considering all the people that live on planet Earth. But these Christians were charged by the power of Christ and His Holy Spirit, and that's key. They went everywhere preaching the Word, During its first three centuries of existence, the early church grew at a phenomenal rate. According to Rodney Stark, the author of The Rise of Christianity, by the year 350 A.D., there were as many as 34 million Christians in the empire, which was more than half its population. And you know what else? They did all this while they were an illegal religion. They were able to spread the word. Despite that. But what about us? When we read the Great Commission? When Jesus gives us our marching orders, what do we say? Ah, that seems a bit too big. Doesn't it? And I know it's bigger than any one of us can accomplish. I understand that. But why do we, why do we respond in that way? When Jesus tells us, I want you to take the gospel and make disciples of all nations. Why does it seem too big for us? 
Have we lost our God-sized imagination? Are we not filled with the love and compassion for other people as they were? Are we just not willing to work as hard as they did, as we know God wants us to? For whatever reason, this is often our response. That is just too big. But why? Let me ask you some questions. Is God any less powerful today than he was then? The answer is no. Does God work in different ways today? Yes. Then we see him working on the, in the pages of Acts in the era of the early church, certainly. But is he any less powerful? No. Is the gospel message any less convicting? No. Is the spirit any less active? No. Does it work differently? Yes. But it's still active. God can do through us what he did through them. If we let him, if we take his message seriously, as they did, but no, we want to throw all of these excuses out. You know what they did? They just did it. They embraced the mission and they got to work and they trusted God with the results. They didn't worry about it. Why don't we respond with that level of just obedience and trust and devotion? Okay, God. You know, roll up the sleeves. Let's get to work. Let's do it. Let's change the world. And on top of all that, behold, Jesus says, I am with you. You don't have to do it on your own. I'm going to be with you always. There won't be one moment in your life where I'm not present with you. I'll be with you to the end of the age. And last time I checked, this age is not yet over. The presence and the power of Jesus has not left our side, not for one moment. He is with us. Listen, I know the mission is big, but we serve a big God. A big God who is by our side every step of the way. We can do it. There are many more people in this room than there were when Jesus delivered the Great Commission. Just to 11, how many people do we have here? 350, 400 people? If every single person in this room took the Great Commission seriously, we would turn the world upside down just like the earliest believers did in the book of Acts. We would. The mission is big, but it's not too big for God to accomplish through us. Second, the, the mission is central. The mission is central to who we are. Jesus' departing words here must define us. And everything we do, all our programs, all our activities, all our ministries should serve the mission. Not just the outward mission, but the upward mission and the inward mission. All those things that I mentioned earlier. Every single thing that we do as a church family should be about fulfilling the mission. Let me, let me say this. Anything that we do that is above and beyond what is sanctioned in Scripture. Anything that is extra is expendable. And we can make adjustments as we go if we find that the things that we are doing are not helping fulfill the mission. And I'm talking about extra things. I'm talking about traditions. And yet that's hard for us to do, isn't it? To let go of traditions that we've been doing for years and years but might not be working as they once did. If we are mission-minded, then we will have no sacred cows. There ought to be no sacred cows in the Lord's church. No program, no ministry that we are so attached to, even if it's completely ineffective, that we're not willing to cut 
cut ties with and leave behind. If it's not working, if it's not helping us fulfill our mission, I once heard it said like this, you need to date your programs, but marry your purpose. Date your ministries, but marry your mission. Stay attached to that. Let your mission, let your purpose define all of your ministries and programs, not the other way around. Let's make sure that the mission is central and let's let that define what we do and how we do it. The mission is central. It must remain that way. And the mission is about people. It's about people. And again, I know all these are very simple. It's big. It's central. It's about people. But don't we forget this last one? That it's about people. If we don't go and proclaim the gospel, then they won't hear or believe the gospel. And again, I'll say, I know that not one of us can do it all. And we shouldn't feel guilty if we can't help everybody in the way that we want to, but we should have this mindset, if not me, then who? If I don't tell that person about Jesus, then who will? I mean, we shouldn't use the fact that we can't help everybody as an excuse to not help anybody, right? And we should feel the burden on our shoulders and the responsibility of taking Jesus to our friends and our family members and our neighbors. If I don't, who will? If I don't, they may never hear the gospel and I'll have to answer for the fact that I drove up the car in the driveway every day and I waved at my neighbor, but I never told them about the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. Or I ate lunch every week with that brother, that sister, that mother, that father, but I never told them about the salvation that they can experience through Jesus Christ. If we don't take the gospel to them, then they won't hear or believe the gospel Into our hands, the gospel is given. They didn't drop the ball. We dare not drop it either. This is our responsibility. This is the mission. But you know what? If we're not careful, church can become about programs and it can become about procedures and policies and protocol and not people. And I think the reason is that stuff is neater and cleaner and easier to manage than people. You start getting out into this community, getting out into our world, and you discover that people are messy. And that people are embroiled and entangled in all sorts of complex, difficult, sinful situations And we say to ourselves, I don't have the time to deal with that junk. I just don't have the time to deal with all of that messiness. Those people have got problems and they've got needs. And I, I can't satisfy those. I can't be on call all the time. And so we make church about policies and procedures and programs and not people because people, I, I can't deal with those people. Well, listen, if we don't have time for that, then we don't have time to be a Christian because that's what being a Christian is. It's storming out out into the world with the best news there is, proclaiming salvation and making time to work with people, to be patient with people, 
to try to reach people as best we can with the best news that there is that Jesus can save even their soul. Church is about people. People are messy. And it's going to require us to get our hands dirty. And it's going to take sacrifices. And it's going to require that we don't enjoy all the things that we get to enjoy in order to minister to the people who need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. Jesus reminds us our mission in this passage, and our mission is not just to get people to the water. It is to make disciples. It is to teach them what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It is to escort them into the waters of baptism. But we don't let them go. We don't turn them loose when, you know, when they're dripping wet, when they come up out of the water. No, Jesus says, and uh, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. So there's teaching on the other end. We must continue to teach and to train and to minister. Our job is to make disciples. Not just to get people baptized, but to make disciples, to teach them. And so church, it's time to recapture our mission. It's time to regain that evangelistic fervor that was present, evident, evident in our earliest days of our movement, but that we've lost. It's time for revival. It's time to be the light to the world once again. It's time, as we sang about, to send the light. I think about this situation with the cave in Thailand. A riveting story that many of us have followed over the last several days. A scary situation for those boys and for their families. Those boys trapped in that cave. But it's been amazing to see all of of the people go down there to offer their help. And I've been amazed at the ingenuity, at the creativity, at the determination we are going to get those boys out of that cave. And at the love and compassion that's behind it all. Why do we not go out into the world with that same level of love and determination and urgency to reach the lost? Why are we not more concerned with what will destroy someone's soul than what will destroy their body? The people who are down there rescuing these boys ought to serve as inspiration and encouragement for us. Because our mission is even more important. We have life-saving news on our hands. Are we just going to keep it to ourselves? I hope not. I hope not. The invitation is for this morning is for anybody who has listened to the Word today and has concluded... That my commitment to the mission has grown fuzzy. And I just haven't been devoted to the mission like I should be. And I need to repent. Because you know what? I don't love the lost. And listen, anytime I preach, (laughs) I'm preaching to me as much as I am to anybody. I could say those words with you. If you're here this morning and you can say, I don't love the lost like I should. And I am not as committed to reaching those who have not yet heard or responded to the message of salvation through Jesus Christ as I ought to be. You can come and we will pray for you. We will pray with you. We will hug your neck. And we will provide as much mutual encouragement as we can. 
in order to support you when you go back out into the world. We all should aim to be more passionate, more zealous about fulfilling the mission of making disciples. Or maybe you're someone here this morning and you need to begin the journey of discipleship today. You need to come and confess Jesus as the Son of God, as these four precious young ladies did last week. And you need to be baptized into the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the gift of the Spirit. If you're ready and willing to do that today, I hope you won't let anything hold you back. I hope that you'll come and make that most important step and receive salvation this very hour. Why don't you do that while we stand and sing?